Welcome to the MWC Church Podcast. MWC Church is a place where you can belong, believe, and become the person God's created you to be. Thanks for joining us online. The lights came on a little quick. I thought I should have started dancing. I'm like, am I supposed to, this is my cue to dance for you guys? It's like, what's going on? It's great to see everybody. It's December 2nd. Who's excited for Christmas? We are in the Advent season. Yeah, Christmas is around the corner. Um, Kansas is crazy. I'm just fully convinced. We had like, it's already December, and, and we had like 50 degree weather already in December. And then in October, we had two snows. So we don't know what's going to happen come December. Like, we have a lot of reasons to just be excited. Like, we, don't, we, we might get like 80 degree weather. Who knows what's going to happen? I don't. Lord does, but I don't. All right. Um, hey, so we're jumping into a uh, brand new season. Really quick, uh, just out of curiosity, it is December 2nd, Christmas. You, you've got some time to get gifts. Um, who's already done with their Christmas shopping? Because you're not buying anybody. I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's like, you got it. Anybody, anybody, anybody done with their Christmas shopping? Who's like, who usually waits for December 23rd, December 24th? That's like, yes, these, those are my people. You guys, I, I love you guys. You guys are like, <laughs> all, all the wives around the room were just like, putting hands down because the husbands are like, what? All right. Hey, welcome. Welcome. So glad you guys are here. I'm Pastor Steven. Unless uh, you're new here, I'm, I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm, we're just excited that you're here. MWC is going through a lot of stuff right now. God is just doing a lot of things um, on our staff. We, we've got transitions happening in, in our facilities. We got a, a new renovation happening. It, it should be done before the end of the year. That's, that's their uh, estimated completion date for the construction part of it. But then when you take into consideration the furniture, the fixtures, and equipment, Equipment. We're looking closer to mid to late January, early February at the latest, depending on what time everybody, everything comes in. But nonetheless, man, we have a lot of things happening. It's exciting. God is doing some great things. Last week, if you were not here because of the, the blizzard of 2018, um, I don't fall to the roads are crazy. You know, when I was living in Chicago, I used to give Kansans a hard time. I'm like, if there's even a projection of snow, like if someone's like, there might be snow. There's a 30% chance that there is going to be snow. Kansas would just shut down. Like, people aren't going out. They're, like, putting on, like, four pairs of socks, and they're like, we're staying home. Like, it's going to be dangerous, right? Like, you better run to Dillon's, get all the water they got, because it's going to be crazy. Um, but then I've been living here for a while, and I just realized that we don't prepare the roads the way Illinois does, the way Chicago does. Um, so no fault. If you weren't here last week, I, 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 don't, I don't fault you at that. The only people that came were people that aren't from Kansas. Like, anybody who was, like, from Michigan or Chicago, like, like you were all here. You get it, but... Uh, I don't fault anybody. I'm not bitter. You're like, Pastor, why are you talking about it? Why do you seem bitter? I'm not, I promise. The only reason why I bring it up, the only reason why I bring it up is because I promise you, the Lord moved mightily last week. Um, we finished our series, and I know we're jumping into a new series today. We finished our series on the armor of God, and I had just this sharp conviction from the Holy Spirit to, to not uh, move beyond. Like, I know we could have just stopped at all the armor pieces, but the, the, the immediate verse after that, verse 18, where, where Paul says, he concludes the entire message on the armor of God. He says this, pray in the Spirit at all times. We talked about what it means to pray in the Spirit and, and just the gifts of the Spirit. And if, if, that's, if, that's, if you're someone who's just like, I just want more in my relationship with God. I, uh, I, I, just, I just want more from his presence. I, uh, I, sometimes I feel lacking. Like, I, I know I'm saved. I've given my life to Jesus, and, 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 I, and, I, and I live in obedience. Like, I, I, I don't fall to sin, or maybe, maybe you do, but if you've ever been where you're just like, you know what, I just, I, I want more. I want more of his presence. Um, I, I encourage you, I implore you as your friend, as your pastor, someone who loves you deeply to go listen to last week's message. I, I know it might sound a little self-serving, a little self-promoting, but um, I, I truly 
believe that when God gives us a message, it's, it's from the Lord. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't me. It was, it was the Lord speaking. So um, I, I, I just encourage you as your friend, as your pastor, to go listen to that message. Let it, let it speak to you. Pray about it, everything that we talked about. Um, all right. Let's jump in. We are in a series, a brand new series starting today. It'll go to the end of or Christmas. It's called Don't Be a Grinch. Everybody look to your neighbor and say, don't be a Grinch. Unless you got in an argument with your spouse or your girlfriend or your boyfriend this morning and they're truly a Grinch, then don't say that because that is passive aggressive, okay? And we don't want to do that. So um, don't be a Grinch. We are in a series and we're just looking. It's a, it's a lighthearted, practical message. It's got to be after how much theology we jumped into the last series. So we're, we're going to make this one a, a, little, a little easier. But it's a very practical series where we're going to spend some time looking at the beloved character, the Grinch. And uh, I'm convinced that no matter how much you love Jesus, all of us in this this place tend to have Grinch-like tendencies, right? It's easy to relapse into a Grinch-like individual where, like, maybe you wake up looking like the Grinch. Like, who knows? Who knows? But, but the reality is that there are moments in our lives where we have these Grinch-like tendencies where we're a little grumpier or a little angrier. And maybe, maybe during the holidays, you're someone who you just cannot stand Christmas, you can't stand the hustle and bustle. Um, not that you don't love Jesus, hopefully you, you love Jesus, but you just can't stand Christmas. And maybe you tend to be a little Grinch-like. If you're, if you're a little confused, or, or if that is you, then this message is, this message is for you, but I believe it's going to be for all of us. Um, in case you're wondering, The Grinch, there is a new film that just came out. I, I took my, my wife and my, uh, my kids and, and, and Pastor Justin and Lisa, they're, are, they're relatives of ours. They, they were also with us, and we went and we took uh, six toddlers or, or six pretty much toddlers to the movies, and uh, man, we are better for it. Uh, the Lord has t- taught us how, how much strength we have. Um, but we took them and we watched, we watched The Grinch. And I'm just going to say, I, I don't want, don't throw any tomatoes. Um, I'm a bigger fan of the Jim Carrey version of The Grinch. Said it. I'm sorry. Somebody like, yeah, I agree. Yeah. It, it, was, it was like, so, we, so um, we, we left that theater and I was like, guys, we're going to watch The Real Grinch. And we, and we put it on and everybody was like terrified. <laughs> Myself included. I'm like, I didn't realize how terrifying this movie was. Like, like Jim Carrey is terrifying, especially the part when, when Cindy Lou Who meets him. I don't know if you remember this part where Cindy Lou Who meets the Grinch in the, in the, in the uh, postal room. And uh, she's like, it's the, the. And he's like, the, the, the Grinch. And his like, teeth are all scary. And my kids are like, ah. Everybody's like running out the living room. And I'm like, I'm the worst parent ever. Like, I should have like not put this movie on. So um, if you are going to show your kids the Grinch, show them the animated version. It's not the best one. It's not the coolest one. Uh, but it, it's a good one. It's cute. It's lighthearted. And uh, so we're going to spend some time just talking about the Grinch and the Grinch-like tendencies that, that we fall into. The, the, you know, sometimes we're grumpy. Sometimes we're angry. Sometimes we're upset. Sometimes we're disappointed. And sometimes that's, it's natural. Sometimes there's things that are just happening in our life that, that the, the, the natural response is to be a little Grinch-like, right? Now, I know in this room, we're already thinking, that Pastor, that, that's not me. Right, like, like, there's no way I'm a Grinch. There's, there's no way I can be Grinch-like. I don't have Grinch-like tendencies. If anything, like, I run and there's tinsel coming from my hands. Like, I just, I love Christmas. Like, I, I ooze this stuff. Right, like, like you just got jazz hands the whole, like, your whole life. Like, uh, maybe you're like, you know what, Pastor? Um, I don't have that resting Grinch face. Like, that, that's just not me. I'm, I'm, I'm happy all the time. Um, maybe you're like, I, I got 99 problems, but, but, but a Grinch ain't one. Right, like, maybe, maybe that's you. But I'm convinced that as we look at this, at this series, as we spend some time in this series, we're going to see that maybe, just maybe, we have more Grinch-like tendencies than we would like to admit. 
This week, I want to talk about uh, just the, 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 the first Grinch-like tendency that, that we see. It's, it's one of unhappiness. Next week, we're going to talk about um, specifically the, the Grinch-like tendency of being unforgiving, someone who does not forgive, someone who struggles with forgiveness. And in the third week, we're going to talk about what it means to be uh, an unsatisfied Grinch, someone who's never pleased, never satisfied. And we're going to look at all of that, and then that's going to lead us to our Christmas weekend. And this year, we're doing Christmas a little different. Normally, what we would do is we would have a Christmas Eve service, and that would follow the weekend service. But this year, because Christmas Eve is like happening right afterwards, we're going to throw it all on the one weekend. We're not having a Christmas Eve service like normal. We're going to have our one giant, um, or, or two giant, a Saturday and a Sunday morning service. And it's going to be an incredible service. Like, you are not going to want to miss it. Uh, a lot of surprises. We're going to have some giveaways and things like that. And uh, things for the kids and families and uh, your friends who are out of town will have a photo booth. And just like, it'll be, it'll be a fun, and, and there's going to be an extra surprise thrown in there that I just can't talk about quite yet, but you're not going to want to miss it. And above, above all that, we get to celebrate Jesus. We get to celebrate Jesus. So come out to our uh, weekend Christmas Eve service. Invite your friends. Start talking to them now. I want to tell you a story. Does anybody, has anyone ever heard of a man by the name of Blaise Pascal? Blaise Pascal. I'm jumping into philosophy and math. Uh, I'm, I'm leaving Grinch and just like, where are we going to connect the dots here? I promise they'll connect. Blaise Pascal, he was a 17th century um, mathematician and, and philosopher, an inventor. Uh, by the age of 12, he was already recognized as being a genius. He, he developed what was considered or what is now considered the, the grandfather to the calculator. He started at the age of 16, he had already developed the, the, the theory of probability. Like, so all of you who, who had had to take stats and probability courses and classes in school, you can thank Blaise Pascal. Like that, he, he had his hands in all of that junk, right? And you're just like, thanks a lot, Blaise, right? Um, uh, he, he was, by the age of 17, he, he created what is known as the omnibus, the, the first form of public transportation in France. I mean, this guy was leaps ahead of his, leaps and years ahead of his time. He was a brilliant individual, but when you study not just the math aspect of Blaise Pascal, the mathematician version of Blaise Pascal, but if you look into the philosophy uh, of, of Blaise Pascal, uh, many philosophy teachers or professors or anybody who studies philosophy would, would, would venture to say that he is the grinchiest, grumpiest philosopher. I want to read some of, some of the, the quips that he came up with, some of the things that, that he believed when he was philosophizing. He said this, man is vain that the slightest thing, something as slight as pushing a ball with a billiard cue is enough to distract him. Gee, thanks, right? People will do anything other than consider their dreadful reality. Yikes, buddy. He says this, we are so presumptuous, humanity is so presumptuous that we want to be known all over the world, even by those who will come long after we have gone. He says, we struggle against obstacles. We struggle, we work hard, but once they are overcome, rest proves intolerable, and once again, we find boredom. Sounds kind of like Ecclesiastes, right? And then the, the, the final one that he came up, comes up with in his philosophizing, he says this, what is man? Nothing compared to infinity. Don't read... Blaise Pascal in the Christmas season. I'm just going to forewarn you, right? Like, like avoid his, 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 his musings. Um, 
And this is what everybody understood him as. And, and I promise we're gonna talk more about his story later on at the conclusion of this message. But, but I want us to stop there and, and, I, and I want us to look at, at how he's thinking and what he's saying. And, and maybe you're gonna say this morning, Pastor, I'm not a Grinch, I'm not a Blaise Pascal. Like that's, that's not the way I look at, at, at humanity, at life, at people. Um, I, I'm not a Grinch. And, and if you would say that, I, I applaud you and I say, praise the Lord, I, I, I hope it's true. But if we were, I, I wanna ask a couple of questions this morning to kind of, look into our life, take a, take a peek into the, into the back room of our lives and, and, and see if, if we have some Grinch-like tendencies that we would hate to admit but can't deny the fact that they're there. Today, I want to ask you five questions. Everybody look to your neighbor and say five questions. Five questions to discover whether or not you may be a unhappy Grinch. I want to look at the, 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 the term, the word unhappy. Are, are we unhappy? What does it mean to be unhappy? Maybe you define unhappiness as the, the opposite of happy, right? Like, like maybe you're just frowning all the time and you're, you're sad and you have a, a demeanor. I'm convinced that that's truly not the only way unhappiness reveals itself. And, and there are other ways that we can look and, and, and posture ourselves and have a disposition mentally, emotionally, and possibly be unhappy. So I'm going to ask you five questions to kind of discover whether or not we struggle with the Grinch-like tendency of unhappiness. My first question I want to ask is this. Do you occasionally find it difficult, do you occasionally find it difficult to be genuinely excited for other people? Someone already admitted, praise the Lord. Do Do you genuinely, do you find it difficult to be Genuinely excited for other people. Like when someone brings good news to you, I got a brand new job. You're like, great, you don't even have a car to get there, right? Like, I got, I got a brand new car. You better get a job, you can't afford it. Like, like I got these brand new shoes. You're gonna be paying that credit card bill for a while. Like, like whenever someone brings you something that they are genuinely excited for, the only thing you could do is just be like, uh, and you bring up the, the idiocy of, of that decision or, or that particular um, uh, des- desire that they had. L- let me just tell you, when, when you quickly jump to the, the critical aspect of someone's good news, friends, that is just arrogance and pride. You know, and, and I'm not trying to say that as if someone who, who's never done that. If any, I, 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 I've, I've gone through this list already. I wrote this sermon and I've gone through this and I'm, I've struggled with every single one of these. So I'm not coming up here as someone who's got it perfectly together. Um, I, I've been there where someone brings me good news and I'm like, ah, you know, like I somehow try to shortchange it. That, that's just pride and arrogance. That, that's truly pride and arrogance when we can't celebrate with other people, when we can't celebrate the happiness that they genuinely are expressing. The word tells us this in Romans chapter 12, Paul is concluding kind of, this is where he's bringing up the prayers that he's praying for people and he's giving just general instruction for the church of, of how to be a good Christian and one of the things that he says, if you wanna not just be a good person but a good follower of Jesus, if you wanna be someone who just oozes the Holy Spirit everywhere they go, if you wanna be someone that just emanates the presence of God, one way you can do that, he says is this, in Romans chapter 12 verse 15, the first part, he says this simply, rejoice with those who rejoice. Rejoicing with people who are rejoicing, friends, that, in a nutshell, is the byproduct of the Holy Spirit. Learning to rejoice with people who are rejoicing is is incredibly powerful. Uh, The New Living Translation says it this way, be happy 
with those who are happy. One of the, the things that I can't stand is when, when I'm excited and I, and I go to someone and I say, this is what I'm excited about or, or let, me, let me talk to you about this. And, and they say, I'm so happy for you. Or I'm so excited for you. The Bible doesn't say re- rejoice for those who are rejoicing or, or, or be happy for those who are happy. It says rejoice with be happy with. There is a responsibility from heaven that we have that when someone's excited about something that is worthy of being excited, that we come alongside them. And like, remember when Tom Cruise went on that Oprah show like, a, like almost a decade ago and he gets on that couch and he's just jumping around and Oprah's like, you're more excited than I am and this is my show. Like, I want to be a friend to people that when, I, when they have something excited, I'm jumping on their couch like more excited than they are. I want to rejoice with people who are rejoicing. I, I want to I be happy with people who are happy, not just for them. Listen, when you find it difficult to celebrate the joyous moments of others, it's a huge indicator of the gaping dissatisfaction within your own soul. And I'm preaching to the choir. When you find it difficult to celebrate with others, it's just a evidence of the deep satisfaction within your own heart. But you know what, what an antidote is to that dissatisfaction? To throw that aside and say, let me rejoice with you. If you're throwing your hands up in celebration, I'm throwing my hands up in celebration. I'm genuinely excited. I'm genuinely happy. And not just one of those things like you fake it till you make it. You're just like, ah, you know, let me do a little tap dance for you. Like, like, like genuine, like I'm, just, I'm gonna be super excited I had a situation like this happen in my life where I did not display genuine excitement. If anything, I was allowing the gaping hole of dissatisfaction in my soul to be evident to not just me, but probably the people around me. Every year in college, when I was a student at Central Bible College, they, they would have a time to honor the senior um, students who, who were just exceeding um, in, in their degree, their, their field of study. And I was going to school to be a, 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 a pastor, and uh, one of my majors specifically was youth ministry, a minor in apologetics or philosophy. And, and I just remembered uh, knowing when I was a freshman, and I was like, you know what? When I was watching those seniors as my freshman, I was like, one of those days, that's gonna be me. I'm gonna work really hard and do everything I can to make sure that that's me one day. I, I, want, I wanted the accolades, I wanted the award, I wanted, I wanted the recognition, right? And uh, you know, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year, I was grinding, I was working hard. My senior year came around and I was like, I'm looking across the table and I'm looking at all of my peers and these are guys and gals that I love and I'm just like, I really don't think there's anybody who is as qualified for, as me for this, this award. You know, I, I, was a, I played soccer all four years, so I was, I was doing athletics, and I was on the drama team for one of those years, and I was in a play, and I was on a worship team. I was, a, I was even a, a pastor by the time I was in my second year in college. I mean, I was working hard. I had a, I had a part-time job, and I had a girlfriend. I had good grades. Like, like I was like bringing up all these different things, and like my room's clean, right? Like I was just bringing up everything. Everything, every accomplishment I can think of, everything that I worked hard for, and I worked hard in college, and, and I just told myself, you know what, that, that's gonna be me someday. So senior year comes around, and they're gonna celebrate the, the seniors, and they were celebrating all the individuals who accomplished various things, you know, every, every different degree that was there, the counseling degree, and, you know, the kids' ministry, and, and, and Bible theology, and all these different degrees that they were, they were honoring, and, and I went to that chapel, was where we would celebrate, where we'd honor these people. It was in the middle of our worship. We'd have a, a daily chapel service, um, I went to chapel that, that day, and I, was, I, I wore a tie. 
I never wore ties. Right? Like, I wore a tie because I'm like, it's going to be me this year. Like, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win this thing. And I wore a tie and I show up and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to sit closer to the front because I don't want to you know, waste any time in the service. So I'll just get as close as I can and then just you just hop up there and, you know, I, I have a couple of notes that I'll say and I, you know, so, so worship's going on and I'm just making sure my tie's straight. I'm, you know, making sure I, I have cologne on and I even have one of those breath mint spray things. I'm like, this is going to be perfect. I'm already rehearsing what I'm about to say and, you know, uh, our president gets up there, you know, he, he transitions us and everybody sits down and he says, you know, every year we get an opportunity to celebrate uh, the seniors who are leading in their, in their field of study, this and that, and they're, they're about to, to honor the, the, the youth majors, which is what I was, youth ministry major, and uh, it was the largest, the largest um, degree at our, at our school at the time, and um, he ev- eventually says, you know what, this, this student in particular is someone who I personally know, I've, I've had them over my house, and I'm just thinking, I've been to Dr. Denbo's house, this has to be me, like I know this is me, right, and he, he's just going on, and this, this student, he, he's a great, he's a great, uh, you know, expositor of the word of God, and I'm like, I'm a pretty good preacher, like, and in my mind, I'm just thinking of all these different things, and, and he says, and, and, and the recipient of this year's excellently achieving youth ministry major award is, and I'm already like halfway up my seat, Kevin Zarika, and I'm like, oh, and I just sit back down, and the only, like, I can't even clap for this guy. I'm doing one of these. I'm just like, like, just throwing my arms. I, I, I can't clap for him. I, I, I'm like, I'm like, just devastated. Um, I, I think I told one of my friends around me, like, hey, I bet it's gonna be me, and, and he's looking at me just like laughing, and I'm just like, on the verge of tears, like, what? I've worked so hard, and, and anyway, he receives the award. He's a great friend of mine. He's still serving the Lord. He, he's, a, he's a good friend. We, we uh, support him as a missionary. Like, I, I love this guy. We have great relationship, but, but in that moment, you know what I was thinking? Should have been me. I deserve that. And I'm bringing up all the things that he's not doing. He's not doing this. And he quit the soccer team. And he hasn't done any of these things. And I'm just like listening over and over and over. And this is like, we go back into worship. And I'm just like yelling at God. I'm like, God, I should have received that award. I deserved it. I've worked hard. I've, I've busted my tail for this, Lord. What's going on? I'm, I'm like, I'm turning more green as I'm saying this because I'm looking more like the Grinch. And instead of the Holy Spirit bringing comfort the way we understand it. He came and brought it the way he understands it. And he said this, he brought correction in the form of comfort. He said this, the Holy Spirit started talking to me and said, you know what? You're over here complaining about what you should be doing and you can't even celebrate what your friend has done. You need to honor him and celebrate him. And that's what the Lord spoke to me. So after worship, I, I went to him, tie and all, and I was like, and he had probably no idea that I thought I was gonna win it. I, I, I kept it pretty quiet. It was me and maybe one other person that I, I said this to, and I put my arms around him, and I'm like, man, I am so excited. You deserve this. You've worked so hard. I'm, I'm so, and, and the more I began to say this, it was like the Lord just started revealing just a, a heart of just, um, just warmth towards him and excitement for him. And, and it was just like genuine. It may have started forced a little bit, but then the more I began to just celebrate him and honor him, it's like God just started bringing this overwhelming sense of excitement and, and joy for my friend Kevin. And I'm just like, man, you deserve this. You deserve this. You deserve this. You know what, friends? When you and I selfishly choose to celebrate other people, God strips away the selfish tendencies within us. When we choose to celebrate and, and, and enjoy what God is doing in the lives of others, he begins to, to strip away piece by piece the selfish tendencies within us. 
Paul says it this way, Philippians chapter two, verse three, he says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. That's a passage to memorize. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. All of those things I was doing in college, it was so that I could win an award so I could receive some accolades. I'm sure there was some worship in, in the things that I was doing, but by and large, it was, it was about me. Selfish ambition, vain conceit, but instead, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Oh, how the church would grow if we were full of people that would not walk with selfish ambition or vain conceit, but seek to to make others look and feel better than ourselves. I need this as a husband. I need this as a leader. I need to be this way as a friend. Let us celebrate people. So if you struggle to genuinely celebrate and be joyous for other people, I'm gonna say this. You are more of an unhappy Grinch than you would like to admit. The second question is this. Are you naturally inclined towards seeing the negative side of things? Are you naturally inclined to seeing the negative side of things? And I know what you're thinking right now. Nope, I'm a realist, right? Like this is, this is the, like the number one, this is how pessimism masquerades itself. I, I'm just being real, pastor. I'm just being real, right? Like, no, you're being pessimistic, right? Like, you're just being a negative Nancy, all right? Like, like, like stop it already. Philippians, look, 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 look what we see in, in Psalm 126. This is my, the, the, the best thing I, I love to see. When, when, when uh, the psalmist is writing this, he says, and now God, he says this, and now God, do it again. Do it again. What is the opposite of pessimism? It's not optimism. The opposite of pessimism is hope. When you have something to hope in and hope for, or someone to hope in, Jesus, the hope of the world, like when, when, when you have hope, pessimism and hope cannot occupy the same space. But what is hope? Hope is being able to see what was and the faithfulness of God that was, and looking forward into the future and saying, he can do it again. That's hope. You look at your situation, you look at the month, you look at the the, the diagnosis, you look at, at what is happening, whatever you're facing, and saying, you know what? God has done it again. He may not have done it for me. He may have done it for somebody else. And because I celebrated that with him, now I remember that. That's why you should also celebrate. I remember what God did in that person's life, or I remember what God did in my past, and now I have the hope to say, God, you can do it again. And this is what the psalmist said in 126, the passage that I just want to read to you really quick. He says this, and now, God, do it again. Bring rain to our drought-stricken lives. So those who planted their crops in the despair will shout hurrahs at harvest. So those who went off with heavy hearts will come home laughing with arm loads of blessing. Friends, if you naturally have a negative disposition, I'm gonna say that's not just realism. That's pessimism. And if you are pessimistic, I'm gonna say that is a, that is a recipe for unhappiness. I love what the psalmist said. Sometimes we're just like, well, that, Pastor, that's just the way I was wired. Like I was, I was born this way to be pessimistic. Like you don't understand my, my livelihood. You don't understand the, the way I was raised and my parents. And, and, and I get it, I get it. But I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 42, verse five, what David says. He says this, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? And I'm just gonna 
I think there deserves to be a pause there. He's speaking to himself. Uh, Specifically in the New NIV version or the ESV version of, of the Bible, that's the NLT, but the ESV and the NIV says more like this. Why, my soul, are you so downcast? He's talking to himself. Sometimes we need to give ourselves a a pep talk and say, why? Why why am I feeling this way? And look at what his response is to himself. He says, pause. Instead, I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again. I'm not going to praise him only when the circumstances are right, when things are deserving of praise and, 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 and jubilation. No, no, listen, listen. I am going to worship him again. Even when I'm in the lowest pit I've ever been in, I'm going to worship him again. Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why are you so discouraged? My heart, why are you so sad? I will put my hope in God. I think there's people in this church right now who need to start giving themselves a pep talk and not just a self-help, but going to the word of God and saying, you know what? There is no need for me to feel this way or be this way. I'm gonna worship God. I'm gonna put my hope in him. I've seen what he's done in the past and I know he can do it again. I'm not gonna walk around with a negative disposition, but I'm gonna trust and have hope. And you know what? I'm gonna believe in him. I'm gonna believe that he can do the miraculous. Third question, do you find it difficult to rest because of the thoughts consuming your mind? Do you find it difficult to rest because of the thoughts consuming your mind? We could talk about, like I know if I I had a survey with a show of hands, we don't have to do this, but if I had a survey with a show of hands and I asked the question, who in this room finds it difficult to get sleep at night? I guarantee you 90% of this congregation would have their hands up. It's just, it's just, it's, it's the, the Western way of thinking. It's, it's the American, it's culture. It's just the way that we are. The, we almost feel like anxiety and stress is something that we, we need to walk with. It's like a bag that we're just forced to carry that if you don't have stress, if you don't have anxiety, then you're just not an effective member of society. That if you're not stressed and you don't have anxiety, you're a hippie. And nobody wants to be a hippie unless they really want to be a hippie. So we better be anxious and have stress in our lives. But as I I look at scripture, I'm consistently bombarded with passages of truth that say, why are you anxious? Don't be anxious about anything. I see passages where Jesus is like, listen, how many of you by by being anxious or by worrying can even add a single day to your life? Don't don't worry about tomorrow. Don't don't worry about what you will eat or what you will drink or or what you will wear. God's going to take care of those details. And yet, in our American mindsets, when we read the Bible, we're like, those passages aren't for us. We wouldn't say that, but we feel that way. And I'm not just talking about sleeping at night. I'm talking about when you're done with work. I, I get it. We live in a, in a day where work can follow us everywhere, where, where we have email at an instant, right? Like, like back in the day, now I'm not gonna say how far back in the day because I'm not gonna insult anybody in this place, but back in the day, it could be yesterday, don't judge. When you left work, you left work. There'd be a, a thing called an, an answering machine. And someone would call this answer, this phone, and they would leave a message, and you had to go, and you had to press play. Do you guys remember that? But now, we've got voicemail on our, I was looking at the youth, by the way, you're like, who are you yelling at, pastor? Nobody, I promise. I was talking to youth in case they don't know what, what an answering machine is. They had little cassettes, and it was awesome. 
I used to like leave prank calls on my mom saying, you better leave, you better leave Stephen 10 bucks and just like hang up and stuff like this. She's like, who is this? I don't know, mom, you better give me 10 bucks. He sounded serious, right? It was crazy. Where's it going? <laughs> I'm just like, why did I do that to my mom? Poor mom terrorized her. But we can't unplug anymore. You go on vacation and, and you're still tethered. Pastor, you don't understand. My, my, my job is my livelihood. I got to provide. I get it. I get it. Trust me, I, I, I understand. But, but no amount of money, no amount of influence, and this is easier said than done, I promise you. No amount of money, no amount of influence is worth the trade-off of the influence you can have on your family and kids. And, and I'm not just talking about professionals. Like, like parents who, who stay at home and, and, and build the home. Like sometimes you have to give yourself some grace and not try to keep up with Instagram homes that you're seeing and say, you know what? If there's, if there's dirty laundry or if there's dishes in the sink, I'm, I'm gonna love what God has brought me. My, my kids, I'm gonna spend time with them. I'm gonna invest in them. I'm gonna teach them the word of God. I'm gonna love on them, pray with them and raise them up the way they need to be raised. Like, like listen, we need to give ourselves some grace and we need to understand that, that there is a mandate from heaven to be individuals who learn to unplug, who learn to find rest in the Lord. Even God, God Almighty, as he was creating on the seventh day before creation was finished, he said this, you know what? Because it's a seventh day, it's a seven-day period. He's like, you know what? I'm resting. Was he tired? No, he's God. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He doesn't get tired. Why did he rest? To be an example for us. That there should be a day, there should be movements, there should be rhythms in our life that we say, you know what? It's not worth it. I'm going to rest. I'm going to focus on my primary relationship, which is my relationship with God. This is why we have church once a, one day a week. We can have church every day a week. We could. Like, we, you should have church every day a week. Like, you can just put on some worship music in your house. But we gather once a week as a Sabbath reminder to rem- remind ourselves that, you know what, there is more to life than the daily grind. There's more to life than, than just going to work and going to A to B, and, and, and we don't work we don't uh, live to work. We work to live, right? Like, like that, that's our lives, right? We, we should be individuals that say, we unplug. We build the relationship between us and God and the first primary relationships that God has given us, our kids. Some of you, little Jimmy has a busier schedule than you have. They got this activity and that activity and this activity and that activity and they haven't been to church in months. They probably don't even know how to pray. Yet they can drive a golf ball 300 yards. Like, come on, guys. Come on. This is a recipe for unhappiness. Unless we learn to rest in the Lord. In fact, Jesus even brings us this promise in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. He says this, and Jesus said, this is on the day, the, the final day of the Feast of Lights. He, he stands up and he says, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, he says this. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Thank you, Jesus. If we come to him, it's a conditional statement. If, if we come to him, if, if we admit first and foremost that we are tired, weary, overburdened, and then we come to him, the result of that, he says, is I will give you rest. There's no might. 
I might give you rest. I may, no, I will give you rest. If we just humble ourselves and not wait till we're burnt out, but before it on a weekly basis or even on a daily basis to take a moment, the first hour of your day to take a moment and say, God, you know what? I'm just gonna spend time with you. I'm gonna get in your word. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna listen to worship music. I'm gonna gonna do whatever it takes, begin to pray for my friends, celebrate for my friends who aren't around, just thank the Lord for them. But that will lead to the opposite of unhappiness, I promise you. Fourth question, do you lack the ability to hold a serious conversation with others? Now, you may ask yourself at this point, where did he get these these questions? Um, I promise you this all came from the place of prayer. I asked the Lord, Lord, what areas in my life is is there unhappiness? Is there discontent that, that you want to root out of me? Like, this is literally just your pastor just spiritually puking on you this morning, okay? Like, like these are things that I've had to work through and work on, so if there's anybody in this place who is, is processing, like I promise you no one has processed as hard as I have. But my fourth question is this, do you lack the ability to hold a serious conversation with others? When I was a kid, I would always, always, when I was getting yelled at, I would always somehow turn a joke in there. Like I'm, I'm in the middle of getting spanked, and I'm like, Where'd you learn how to do that, mom? Like, like, I don't know why that would just come out of my mouth, but it was just like, it was just like goofiness and silliness was, was the only way I knew how to deal with emotions, right? Like, I still remember to this, to this day, uh, my, my grandmother's funeral, and I loved my grandmother. I called her mom. She, she essentially raised me because I had a single mom, and she worked all the time, and, um, you know, like, like she, was my, she was my everything. She, she, I love my Lolita. Like, I used to call her mom, right? And there was a time that um, we were at her funeral, and I did not know how to process grief. I didn't understand that emotion. I only understand humor. And I, I get up there and, and I say some words and I'm like, well, at least uh, she doesn't have to smell my grandfather's you-know-whats, right? And I, and I sat back down. And there was like some laughter and, and everybody else was like, what's wrong with this guy? I did not know how to process emotions. I was more unhappy than I wanted to admit, and I would lean into what was natural, what was comfortable, what was easy, familiar to me, and I couldn't have a serious conversation. Do you lack the ability to hold a serious conversation with others? Some people think when people automatically divert to goofing around, it means that, they, that, they, that, that they're happy, but it can also mean that they're avoiding sincere and genuine moments. This isn't because you are overly joyous individual. It means you cannot have a genuine encounter with someone else. Being an unhappy person doesn't always wear a sad face. Sometimes it shows in your inability to express your true feelings. So earlier when I asked the question, are you an unhappy Grinch at times? And you responded by saying, no, I... I'm genuinely happy. I smile off and I'm able to joke around. That's not the only indicator of happiness. Sometimes the far swing to the other side of where you can't have a genuine moment with another person or a serious conversation is also a sign of not being happy with yourself. The fifth question. Do you go out of your way to avoid people or do you avoid being alone at all costs? Do you go out of your way to avoid people and do you avoid being, or do you avoid being alone at all costs? Now, I know in this place, usually we are introverted or extroverted. We are introverted in the sense that, that we enjoy a, a more alone time than others. We, 
we find more energy when we're alone. We, uh, we, it requires more energy of us to be in social gatherings than it does, would an extrovert, someone who, man, they get energized and jazzed when they're in, in larger groups, which is, I would throw myself in that camp, in that category. I'm, I'm definitely extroverted. I love, I love big groups of people. I know we're, we're different, and I know we have a tendency to lead one way or another, but I'm specifically asking the question, do you go out of your way to avoid someone? Maybe you're, you're in the car, and you're driving, and someone pulls up next to you, and you do one of these, oh, I know that person, and then you just, like, move the visor. <laughs> you're laughing because you've been there. <laughs> You go out of your way to, to avoid people. And I'm not talking like you're at a coffee shop, you got work to done, I'm gonna do work to do, you're gonna put your headphones in and just try not to get distracted. There's moments for that, but I, you know, just, just this last week, I, I had a moment like that. And I'm an extrovert, I love people. I love just larger settings and you know, I love it, I love it. But this last week, I was working and it's a busy week. December's usually busy parts for pa- busy, busier months for pastors. And um, I'm, just, I'm just working and stuff. And uh, I have my headphones in. And I, and I notice out of the corner of my eye, uh, someone that I know that they, they didn't see me. I, I know them. And they actually go to our church. They've been to our church. And um, they haven't been around for a while. And um, I, I decided to take my headphones in or off. And then I was just like, uh, I got I to gotta, I gotta get some work done. And I put them back in. The moment I did this, I was working on this message too, by the way. The Lord's like, you idiot. Just kidding, but seriously. This moment's for you. So I'm like, yeah, you're right. What am I doing? I take my headphones off and I go up to that person. I'm like, I'm gonna, let, me get you, let me get your coffee and I pay for their coffee. And I'm like, I, got, I have work to do, but I'm not letting them know, let them know this. I'm like, let's, let's, let's chat, let's chat. And sit down and we're talking and we're talking and we're talking. And, they begin to tell me things and I begin to tell them things. And, and what we shared in that moment was just a beautiful exchange that I know because of the, 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 the details of their life and the, the irony of us bumping into each other, it was, it, was in this, like it was ordained by God. And I just thought to myself, I'm usually not a, a people dodger. If I see you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hug you. Like I'm gonna tackle you if, if, you, if I see you in public. You better like... Watch out, right? But in that moment, I, I wanted to avoid a situation because I was selfishly consumed by what I was doing. And, and that's not what God's called us to. That exchange turned into something beautiful where God was glorified and magnified and we got to encourage each other mutually. Like God was just doing incredible things. Do you sometimes go out of your way to avoid people? And if the answer to that is maybe, I'm gonna say that can be a sign of unhappiness. And one way to beat that is to say, I'm gonna do the opposite and I'm gonna run at people. Not awkwardly or weirdly, you know, like be normal, but do you avoid being alone at all costs? The second part of that question. Do you avoid being alone at all costs? I believe in spiritual disciplines. Uh, there's a great book, pick it up if you'd like. It's called The Spirit of the Disciplines by, by uh, not Richard Foster, Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard, Spirit of the Disciplines. And, and he talks about various disciplines, prayer, meditation, um, worship, Bible reading, studying, um, just various, various things, fasting. And there's one that he has in there particularly that I personally struggled with the most. And it, it's, it's the, the, the spiritual discipline of seclusion, like, like getting away for a while. 
right? The, the healthy expression of, of avoiding people, right? Like the healthy, I need to get alone with, with the Lord. In fact, Jesus did both of those. He would walk slowly through the crowds. He didn't avoid people, but he also understood the moments where he had to get alone with God. Over eight different times in the gospels, we see the phrase, and Christ withdrew to a mountainside, or Christ withdrew from the crowd. So there are moments where even the son of God needed to get alone and spend some time with God and, and have some R&R. But I realized that some of us may be avoiding that because we're afraid if we get alone for too long, we're gonna identify things in our lives that don't belong. And we're afraid that God's gonna call some things out in us. And maybe you're, you're avoiding that what you feel is gonna be a fearful moment of discipline. And can I just say as your friend, that that is some of the best moments you can have where you get alone with the Father who loves you and cares about you, who will not accuse you, may discipline, may bring some things up because the Father disciplines those that he loves, but it's not gonna be what you would consider. He's gonna throw his arms around you and, and, and wash you with his presence and, and speak to you tenderly and, and, and work on things and encourage you and, 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 and do whatever you need in that moment because he is a good God and he's gonna do above and beyond anything you can think or imagine. But friend, if you would identify as someone who avoids seclusion, I'm gonna say that's just a sign of being unhappy with yourself and you need to get alone with God. Now we're, we're wrapping things up and if, if you answered yes or maybe to any of these, I'm gonna say that's an indication of maybe being an unhappy Grinch. But this message is not a self-help message. Listen to me. This message, like I'm not saying to do the opposite of everything that we just talked about, like, like just work hard at being happy now. Listen, that, that, that's self-help. Self-help identifies a symptom and treats the symptom. But the gospel is better than any self-help because the gospel of Jesus doesn't identify symptoms, it identifies causes. And it treats the root of that cause. Listen, the reason why you are unhappy is not because you're avoiding people or avoiding seclusion or, or because you're, you're particularly um, you know, someone who is pessimistic or, or because you lack the, the ability to celebrate and be joyful for others. So, so I'm not doing the self-help version of saying, do the opposite of all that. That's a start. But I'm saying if you'd want to do more than just treat symptoms and you want to treat the root cause, there's something deeper. We live in a culture that is known for treating symptoms. If I'm bored, I'm going to fill myself with entertainment. If I'm sleepy, I'm going to treat that symptom of sleepiness with some coffee. But Christ came to not treat symptoms, but to treat the root cause of all things. If you find yourself to be a little unhappy this season, I'm not saying be a little happy. I'm saying this. If you are unhappy this season, you need not happiness, but something that is far deeper than happiness. You need joy. And I'm here to tell you that this holiday season, this Advent season, joy isn't just from watching holiday Hallmark movies. Joy has a name, and it's Jesus. Joy has a name, and it's Jesus. 
Friends, you and I don't have to walk in an unhappy disposition, an unhappy demeanor, and try to remedy it with a bunch of symptom treating. We can go to the root cause. Jesus says that we can come to him. Christ came to deal with the root cause of our sorrow and not just fix the symptoms. The only antidote for being an unhappy Grinch is found in the God-gifted, deep-rooted joy. A joy that overflows, a joy that is overwhelming. Jesus is the only way and the only one to rid ourselves of unhappiness. I love what the apostle says, and I'm going to end with this. In Romans 15, verse 13, the apostle Paul understood this clearly. He says this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to just take our, our, our closing moments and just dissect that one passage really quick. Look what he says. Who is, who is God? He's the God of hope. And earlier we said hope is being able to look back and look forward and say if he did that, he can do it again. May the God of hope, is, is God the God of hope in your life today? If not, he needs to be. He is the God of hope. I don't care what you're walking through this morning. He is the God of hope. I don't care what the verdict is. I don't care what they've said. Jesus is our God of hope. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace. And what is our responsibility as you trust in him? Trust in the God of hope this holiday season. Trust in the God of hope right now. Why? What does he say? So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants to do something special this morning. Maybe you said, Pastor, I, I'm, I'm relatively joyful. Like, that, that, that's my demeanor. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And we, because we just talked about it today, we're going to celebrate with you. Thank God that that's how you feel. But if that's not where you're at right now, I'm going to say the Lord is not here to beat you up. He's here to offer you himself. He's not here to treat your symptoms of depression, anxiety, or unhappiness. He's here to deal with the root cause. He's done it before he can do it again. God wants to bring joy into your life and overflow in you through the power of the Holy Spirit like never before. Earlier, we talked about Blaise Pascal. You remember that guy who went down in the philosophy history books as being the most cynical and and depressing philosopher, the least joyful philosopher. Well, a funny story. We know why he was so upset and why he was so disappointed in life. He experienced abandonment issues. His mother passed when he was three. His father was was deteriorating mentally slowly by the time he was a middle-aged man. His his sister, his last remaining um, relative left him to take care of her father of their father and and he had abandonment issues uh, by the time he was 13 he even developed a hunchback so he was disfigured physically emotionally and spiritually and that's what people thought of his life but eight years after he passed his sister returned home and she started digging through some of his belongings and she found one of his coats And inside of the coat, not one of his coats, his only coat, inside of his coat, right over where the the flap would rest over his heart, there was sewn 
a piece of parchment. And I want to read what that parchment, what that, wrote, what that letter said. It says, Year of Grace, 1654. Monday, November 23rd, on the Feast of St. Clement. From about half past 10 at night to about half an hour after midnight. From, from 10.30 p.m. to 12.30 a.m. One word, fire. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, not the God of the philosophers that I understand and the, the God of the scholars, but the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Certitude, heartfelt joy, peace. The God of Jesus Christ, God Jesus Christ, my God and your God. And then he says this, joy, 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 tears of joy, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, may I never be separated from him. He recorded that no one else knew until long after he had passed the moment and the hour he gave up and stopped fighting against God and let God fight for him where he no longer looked at his hopeless situation and started looking at all the areas that he felt abandoned and all the things that he can be upset and angry about and said, you know what? It's not just the God of the philosophers or the God of the scholars because those leave me high and dry. It's the God of Isaac, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, and, and he is a faithful God, Jesus Christ. And he said from 1030 to 1230, fire, tears of, of overflowing joy. May I never be separated from Christ. So if someone who can go down in the history books as a cynic, as someone who struggles with depression and anxiety and unhappiness, I'm here to tell you this morning, friends, can we stand together? I'm here to tell you this morning that God gives us joy. If we turn from ourselves, if we humble ourselves, if we turn to him and say, Lord, I need you, Lord, I want you, he will give us joy. If we admit that we are wearied and overburdened and, and tired, he promises to give us rest. He promises to fill us and overflow us with joy, joy exceedingly, joy in abundance, life, life in abundance. Our God, Jesus Christ, came in the form of a child over 2,000 years ago. Why? The angels said it perfectly as they were revealing them the newborn Savior to the shepherds in the fields. She went to them and said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I, I bring you good news that will fill you with joy. That in Jerusalem, right now in a manger, our Savior and Messiah is born. The one who would restore all things. The one where literally time itself will hold itself up on an axis. Jesus Christ, the Savior, is born. This holiday season, and right now, you don't have to be an unhappy Grinch. We have Jesus. Give him some praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Friends, I want us to sing this song, just a few verses together. Let's sing this song. Give him some praise this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you fill us with an overwhelming sense of joy. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that it consumes us, 
that it carries us. Lord, thank you that you are the one who follows us and leads us and guides us. Holy Spirit, would you remind us, bring us into all truth, remind us that our situation is not determined by our circumstance, but it's determined by the one who determines all things, our Savior, our God, our Jesus. Thank you that you give us joy, that we have the ability to look back and say, God, if you did it then, you can do it again. We trust you. We submit ourselves to you. We submit our situations to you. God, would you do the work that only your spirit can do, bring joy and abundance into our lives because joy has a name and it's Jesus. We love you, Lord. We praise you. You're doing great things in us and through us. We ask this in your name, Jesus, and everyone said, amen, amen.